I want to greet all of you. I wish you were here so I could give you a big fat virtual hug. Alas, it is not to be. But it is my joy to be able to speak today. It's, it always fills my heart with gratitude when I come up here, when I see what God has done, and am reminded of uh, that our labor has not been in vain. You have a beautiful church, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I'm, I'm honored to step in for uh, Pastor Duane. He is one of the Covenant's best pastors, and his uh, wife, Sherry, is a couple notches above him. And so it's really uh, my joy to be here today. Uh, I'm going to dive right into the topic today, and brace yourself. I'm going to talk about politics you might be thinking, no, don't go there, Pastor Dan, I'm sick of politics. In fact, I can hear you from your homes even now. Well, I think there is a way to talk about politics, even from the pulpit, in such a way that you're not promoting a candidate or pushing a party platform, but you're pointing to Jesus and his kingdom and his priorities. In fact, I think that uh, the political turmoil that we're in right now is due in part to our avoidance, our avoidance as Jesus followers and Bible readers, our avoidance of politics. There has developed a gulf between our Jesus convictions and our political convictions. And Jesus is not informing our political ideology or our nation's political ideology. And so I want to talk about politics today. And let me make a brief commercial for a book. Our good friend Dave Drum has written a book. He's a Lutheran pastor, one of our city pastors here in Tucson. And he's written a book called Peace Talks. How to be a peacemaker. Good news of Jesus in a donkey-elephant war. A timely book and you can buy this book we have a pile of them and uh, you can give 15 bucks to Sandy and and uh, you'll be very stimulated by what Dave has written so did you watch the debate <laughs> I did and I lasted 18 minutes and I had to leave the room I thought that debate was an insult to democracy and to the American people. This partisanship, this hostility, this incivility, it is as bad, one study says, as it was since the Civil War. And so we are deeply divided, yet we as Christians are called to be peacemakers. And we have Jesus' words saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. That's our job. A peacemaker does not pick a side and then go on Facebook and hurl insults at the other side. A peacemaker stands in between and prays for both sides and advocates for, the both, for both sides. The first task of a peacemaker is to pray. And Jesus is our example. We have a slide of that. He entered the middle of the turmoil of this world 
And he was a man of prayer. And he brought together a good, just God and a rebel world. And he removed the dividing line of hostility between races. So, you, Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker, I have a job for you. And it is to be a prayer warrior. And I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to press you on this, to pray a specific prayer. And it is a prayer for the president. Now, when I say that, I realize that some of you, about 40%, are going to say, love to. I already have been praying for the president. And some of you right now are gagging. That's the last thing you want to do. I had dinner with someone last night, and uh, she said, I'm not going to pray for the president. I don't care what you say. I don't think he has a soul. Well, we, we have a specific verse in 1 Timothy, and this is what it says. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, that's a lot of prayer, be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority. For kings and those in authority. We're, it, kings in that day and age were Caesars who thought they were God. For people in authority, that's like Herod or even Pontius Pilate. This is what Paul is saying in this. We should pray. And look what the result is when we pray. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So, I have a job for you. Will you do it? Will you pray for the president? And I have a specific prayer for you to pray that's based on Psalm 20, which we heard read earlier. This prayer is a model for us to pray. The big question in this psalm is, for whom is David praying? David is the author of this psalm. We know that David was a king, but he's praying for another king. So the question is, is it the king that preceded him or the king that succeeded him? Is it for Solomon, his son, or is it for King Saul? Well, in fact, we, we, we have some, some prayers that David prayed for Solomon, and almost all of them are for the temple, that Solomon would be successful in building the temple. So I suggest to you that this is a prayer for King Saul. King Saul, the king that wanted to kill David. And we have a slide depicting Saul trying to run him through with a spear. David was, or Saul was a terrible king. He was a tyrant. He was, as all tyrants are, a narcissist. We know this, that dictators are narcissists. And so... What they do is they build monuments to themselves. They're in love with their image that they're trying to promote. And so Francisco Franco has a fabulous monument, which is his tomb. And of course, Saddam Hussein had a huge statue of himself, which you see in the slide, is being taken down. And this is what the scripture says about King Saul. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. This is classic dictator behavior. And dictators also seek to eradicate 
anyone who opposes them. And so Saul was after David. Yet David only wanted the best for Saul. This is just remarkable to me. And in this psalm, we see David praying for the blessing of Saul. We have another slide showing you David serving Saul. And uh, I love this slide because it shows a very dark, uh, negative person in Saul. Yet David prayed for him. And my attitude is, if David can pray for Saul, then I can pray for anybody who's in the Oval Office, no matter who it is. And so I urge you to do that in this time of division in our land. We desperately need peacemakers, and peacemaking begins with prayer. So here's the prayer. Five prayers that you can pray for the president. Number one, the day of distress prayer. This is taken from verse one. David writes, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Literally, it is in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now think for a moment. When, when might be a day of distress for a president? Maybe when there's a pandemic? 200,000 people dead? 30 million people out of work? Sometimes we say as Christians, God never gives us more than we can handle. I have often found that God gives me, often, a lot more than I can handle. And these days of stress cause us to cry out for help. It causes us to seek a higher power. It humbles us and breaks the illusion that we're in control. So uh, I've been playing tennis lately, and one of my young tennis friends, he's in his 30s, he got COVID, got COVID, and he almost died. He was sick for three weeks. And I just had coffee with him today, and he said, you know, that, that whole incident changed my life. I've been a better husband, and I've been more patient with my kids. And I have a better, I, 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 thank, I thank God for every day that I have. That's what the day of distress does. We have lots of stories in Scripture of high and mighty kings facing a day of distress. One of my favorite stories is of Jeroboam. You may remember this king. The kingdom was split in half after Solomon. Rehoboam took the southern kingdom. Jeroboam took the northern kingdom. And the problem was that the temple and the Torah and the priests were all in the southern kingdom. What's Jeroboam going to do? He's going to create a new religion. He creates a new cult. He builds a new altar. He builds two golden calves and says, Israel, these are your new gods. One day when he's offering sacrifices himself on the altar, I'll like, who needs priests? I'll do it. He's offering sacrifices on the altar, and a man of God shows up. And the man of God says this, Hear the word of the Lord, Jeroboam. This altar is not good. It will lead to your ruin. Your ruin. And to prove it, the altar split in half right there in front of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is irate. And he sticks his hand on and points at 
the man of God and says, seize this man. And when he sticks his arm out, his arm and hand shrivel up and become helpless. Jeroboam says to the man of God, please ask your God to restore my hand. And he does. And his hand is restored. And in the manner of a minute, you see a malignant narcissist immediately humbled. It was his day of distress. He learned that there was a higher power to whom he must answer. And he also learned that if someone prayed for him in his day of distress, God would answer. And that's what I pray for our president. When that day of distress comes, that God would answer him. First prayer, that's number one. Number two is the godly help prayer. It says in verse 2, May he, the Lord, send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Well, the sanctuary is the domain of the priests. Zion is Jerusalem, the place of worship, and the concern of the prophets and the men of God, the Levites. So I pray for God to send some priests and prophets and pastors to surround the president and counsel him and give him, what does it say? Help and support. I pray that God would not send obsequious lackeys to the president. I've been waiting all month, Charlie, to say that phrase, obsequious lackeys. We have a clue of what this is like when uh, a, a, uh, a man from the sanctuary, a godly man, comes to help the king. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 17. We have the verse on a slide. And it says this, When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write from himself on a scroll a copy of the law, the Ten Commandments, taken from that of the Levitical priests. There are the helpers. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. So I read this verse, and I have, a, I have an image of the priest giving the king two post-it notes. And on those post-it notes, he writes the Ten Commandments, and he puts them right on his desk so he never forgets them. I pray that for our president. Here's another example. This is from uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, this is a story about Rehoboam, who became the king in the south after Solomon dies. And Rehoboam wisely asked the elders, the godly men of the sanctuary, as to how he should rule as a king. And this is what the wise men said. If today you will be a servant to the people and serve them, he goes on to say, then they will always be your servants. In other words, if you serve them as the king, they will gladly serve you. This, this, is, this is servant leadership that Jesus taught centuries before Jesus. 
This is godly help, wise help, and I pray that something like that surrounds our president. Here's another prayer. The selfless prayer. Verse 3. May the Lord, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your burnt offerings. Now, you know, we don't give sacrifices of bulls and goats anymore. Uh, but we make sacrifices. A sacrifice is any time you have something of value and you give it away freely, gladly to God, to honor God, or to help other people. We have seen, it's a, it's a selfless act in, in, to abbreviate that. And we, this is just like Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's a simple phrase we find again and again in the New Testament, and it says that Jesus gave himself for us. Over and over again, we see that phrase. He gave himself for us. And that's what a sacrifice is. We have seen, you know, during this COVID crisis, we have seen this again and again. The medical personnel, first responders, uh, sacrificially giving to help people. Uh, we've seen churches. There's a church here in Tucson who, that has offered free child care to any medical personnel or first responder. It's just a gift that they give. I saw on television there was a story that uh, CBS had on some guy who delivered papers in a neighborhood. And he, when the quarantine was full on, he found that many of the elderly people were so desperate for human contact and conversation that he'd come and deliver their paper and they'd talk to him and just, just to have a friend for a few minutes. And, and then he started asking these people, can I, can I get something from the grocery store from you or for something from Walmart? And people gave him a list and he became the service man, the delivery man to everybody in that neighborhood. And they interviewed one of the homeowners and uh, she said, this guy is our hero. Selfishly selflessly giving of oneself. I pray that God remembers every selfless act the president does. He remembers what this man did in that neighborhood. And he will remember what you do when you selflessly give to others. Prayer four, the success prayer. This is found in verse 4. May he give you the desires of your heart. May the Lord give you that and make all your plan succeed. This is the success prayer. This is what I pray. I pray that every request that, that our president makes for the common good, every plan he makes to better the American people, every policy that promotes equity, every impulse of kindness that God would give success to that. Every political leader, especially presidents, have great potential for good. They also have great potential for evil. I pray that, as Lincoln said, their better angels would dominate. So I pray for good ideas to succeed. Here's one that has emerged in the COVID crisis, and that is 
debt forgiveness. And so uh, banks are forgiving loans. Some loans are flat out forgiven. Uh, their banks are working with customers to defer payments and suspend penalties. Insurance companies are waiving co-pays and libraries are forgiving book fines, which actually makes me quite happy. Uh, we are, uh, uh, are seeing uh, conversations about forgiving student loans. Our sister church across town raised $7,000, which can be multiplied to eliminate $700,000 of medical debt. We are seeing prisoners let out of prison because their sentences are nearly done and they're elderly, and to get them out of prison before the, the, the virus comes, uh, they're being released. Their debt to society is being paid off. There's a uh, wonderful story about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, his best friend was Joshua Speed from Springfield, Illinois. And uh, Joshua visited him in the Oval Office one day. And when he came into the office, there were two women there uh, already present. And when Lincoln came into the office, they immediately, the women, got up and pressed on him and started talking all at once. And Lincoln said, hold on, hold on. I surmise that you have a son and a husband who is in prison for avoiding the draft. And you're appealing for his release. And they said, that's right. And he said, well, uh, what is your petition? Do you have it signed by your lawyer? And they said, we don't have enough money for a lawyer. So we just decided to come to you personally, which back in the day they could do. And so uh, Lincoln calls in his secretary, General Dana, and he says, how many uh, draft resistors do we have in custody right now? And General Dana said, 27. And Lincoln turns around, looks out the window, and he, thinks, and he says, I think they've paid their debt to society. I will turn out the whole flock. And he released all those guys. The two women rushed at Lincoln again and fell at his feet and, and wept. And Lincoln said, get, get up, we'll have none of this. And the mother said, President Lincoln, thank you so much. I will probably never see your face again, but I know I'm going to see you in heaven. And Lincoln said, well, I hope I get there. But you wishing me to be there, that makes my day. Joshua Speed, Lincoln's friend, said, Lincoln had the most tender heart for anyone in distress, whether man, beast, or bird. After the Civil War, he said to all the Confederate soldiers, we're not going to punish you for treason, for rebellion. Get your horse and go home and start farming. Debt forgiveness is a good idea. And good ideas like that, I pray that our president would adopt them and have success. This is the success prayer. And finally, I think this is the last prayer, the ultimate trust prayer. That is found in verse 7 and 8. David writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses. In other words, in military might. 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That is quite a contrast. The military might of chariots and horses versus the name of the living God. I read a book this last year by Rosa Brooks, and it's about the massive size of the American military. Our military budget is nine times larger than China and five times larger than Russia. We have 600 bases in 160 countries all over the world. And Rosa Brooks asks the question, how much is enough? Now this book by Rosa is not anti-military because she works in the Pentagon and her husband is a high-ranking military officer. But she says, our military, we ask them to do too much. Our soldiers are trained for combat, but like in Iraq and Afghanistan, they have built schools, fixed sewers, monitored elections, set up electrical grids, established criminal justice systems, and the list goes on and on and on. She says one of the reasons why we do that is because the military has credibility. In fact, surveys indicate that of all our institutions in America, including the clergy and the church, the military has the highest credibility. And so when something's broken, we send in the troops. I pray that the president puts his trust not in the military might or the ability of the military, but ultimate trust, ultimate trust, in the name of the living God. Every dictator that we know of in the last century has been gaga over the military. Mussolini, Francisco Franco, Noriega, Saddam, and Saul also. Saul had his 3,000 crack troops and tried to eradicate his enemies with his strong forces. But what happened to Saul? What happened to these dictators? Look what the scripture says. Verse 8. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we, we who trust in the name of the living God, we rise up and stand firm. Pray that the president put his trust in the living God. Not in the military. And I, I challenge you to do that too. I mean, there's many good, many good things to say about our military. And many of you have served in our military. But I ask you, what is your ultimate trust in? Let us pray that we as Americans put our ultimate trust in God and in nothing else. I mean, think about the covid crisis, this little tiny virus. Nothing can stop that. There's no horse or chariot that can stop that. But there is a God in heaven who can. Let us put our trust in him. I want to end up on this, verse 6. David says in this song, he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. That phrase, 
that word anointed is an important word in our scripture. In the historical books of the Bible, it usually refers to the physical king, David or Saul or Solomon. But in the Psalms and in the prophets, it takes on an additional meaning. It's talking about a future king. It's talking about the Messiah because that's what the word means, anointed. So David here is actually entering the the realm of prophecy, talking about a future king that will come. A king who will have a kingdom where humility is valued, where the meek inherit the earth, where the grief-stricken are comforted, and where the pure in heart see God. This king will bring in, usher in a kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sadness, no more death, no more deceit. It's the land of no more, no more shame. It's a kingdom that has a tree of life in the middle of it, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. What a kingdom that will be. It will be ruled by a king who hears our prayers, hears our cry, remembers our selfless acts, is full of mercy, and he defends us when nothing else can. This king, his name is Jesus. It is Christ the king. This is the king we worship and for whom we wait Pray to Him. Point to Him. And if you're on the fence, a bit skeptical, put your trust in Him. He is a good King. Amen. We're going to close our service today at the very end. And you're going to hear a quarantine choral piece that you will all recognize. Listen to the words. <laughs>